What's up everyone? Welcome to episode 8 of Thoughts from the Shade. Bomb will do most of the heavy lugging for our Eagles recap. We check in on our fragile lumberjack friend in Indy and discuss the electric Sunday night game between the Ravens and the Chiefs. We recap the Big Penn State win, check in on the state of college football, and close out with a little game of contender or pretender here at the quarterway mark of the season. Don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. If you're tired of running out of sunscreen too soon, they've got you covered. Go to shamrocksun.com and enter promo code SHADE in all caps when you're ready to pull the trigger on one of their big-ass bottles of sunscreen. So I, I need I need Bomb's take on the Birds game. I missed quarters two through four. Apparently didn't miss much. Caught the first quarter at Tampa Airport with a, a sorry group of guys. And things weren't looking too bad up until I boarded the plane and was checking my phone to see that we had first and goal, I believe at the four. And then first and goal at the one. A uh, couple plays later, didn't convert. Just uh, got got on a plane home, not feeling too hot and not feeling encouraged about the birds and got a few what, score ups. First of all, what, what airline did you fly? Flew American. I mean, you didn't fly Spirit, so all right, you flew American. How many routes are coming back to Philadelphia every day from Tampa? You don't tell me one. Looked like two. Looked it did. I did check. I did check as I got to the airport. Two flights. Some, Sunday morning there was a twelve something flight, and I was on a two thirty flight. Two flights, and we got a podcast host, sports Philadelphia sports podcast host, taking the flight like in the middle of the game. Not a good look, but I booked this trip as uh, the initial foundation and plans for thoughts for the shade were coming together wow adjustments weren't made well you knew the eagle schedule that comes out every april i mean you got to have that synced to the calendar do you have it synced to the calendar i don't i don't it's a good That's... point I'll, I'll i'll take that advice going forward it's all um, good but... you, i'll just put it this way you didn't miss much all right this game more than any other game reminded me of the Cowboys-Eagles game, October 2013, the game where I believe Foles got knocked out with a head injury. The Eagles lose and go to 3-4. and four. They lost the game 17-3. to three. And it was like one of the most futile games you could ever imagine. You just – the ball wasn't being moved. It was low scoring. It was like 3 nothing at halftime. That was what Sunday felt like. I mean – Really, they dominated the first half. And then they let Garoppolo get down the field on the last drive of the first half and take the lead. And it was, the minute they scored that touchdown at the end of the half, um, you had to know that, that the game was pretty much over the way the Eagles were moving the ball. So let really me, just uh, a total snooze fest. Let me jump in there because I did catch the highlights. And the, the fellow that caught the touchdown, I believe his last name was Jennings. And it was his first NFL catch. Like, is that the kick in the dick we get 
as Philly fans in every sport, like for the Flyers, first NHL start for the goalie and he gets a shutout. This guy makes his first NFL catch. It's a touchdown to take the lead and they never look back. This stuff happens all the time. And I saw that on the highlights and it just, it never ends. That's so true. And then also like they get down near the goal line and it seems like every other team, whether it's in the red zone or just outside the red zone, guys fly wide open. Like there's busted coverages everywhere for every other team. And like we're running double reverse trick passes with Greg Ward and we're throwing it out of the back of the end zone. We never, ever have anybody that's just dead wide open like that guy Jennings. I mean, that guy, nobody even covered the guy. He's standing there waving his arms saying, Jimmy, throw it to me. Throw it to me. And, uh, yeah, he cashed in pretty easy. What did you make of the the sequence uh, that I mentioned earlier where we had the first and goal after the big Watkins play? I did, I did watch the sequence. It looked like a, a pass to Ertz. A run to Sanders, a Hertz run, and then what everyone is is calling on the interweb uh, the Philly special. Uh, that was not special at all. I just, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't watching the game live, so hard for me to get a feel of, you know, what the what the play call should have been or could have been. But what did you make of that? I think there was a penalty mixed in there too. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't like the the play calling down there. To begin with, it, it seems like for whatever reason, the Eagles are throwing to the boundary as the field gets smaller and smaller, like nothing over the middle. Like we're throwing at a pylon across the hash to like Ertz. And, it, you know, I, I don't get it. Um, and then you compare and com- contrast that to what Baltimore does with Jackson in the red zone, where they're putting stress on guys that are unblocked saying, hey, man, if you want to come down and clamp down on this running back, I'll just pull it, run around you, and just punch it right in. Like, where is the read option stuff for Hurts in the red zone? I saw none of it. Um, we People were clamoring for a QB sneak. You could do that. You could spread everybody out and run a little read option. You could do that. They did none of it. And the other thing is, like, Sanders doesn't impress me down near the goal line. The guy never gets north-south. Like, Boston Scott hasn't played, I don't think, at all all year. But, like, that guy puts his foot in the ground and, like, hides behind a lineman and just gets up the field. Can we have that style running back down there? The play call, the personnel, the whole thing I just thought was botched by Sirianni. I even think the little bit I've seen at Gainwell, he he looks more of a downhill runner than than Sanders. So maybe, maybe he's an option. I'm not sure, but didn't didn't seem good, doesn't sound good. And then I don't know what happened in the second half. I, I did hear, I believe I heard that Eagles wide receivers caught one pass after the first quarter. So it sounds like the real snooze fest was, was the second half. I mean, what went down there? Yeah, I mean, the 49ers just held the ball. They pounded the rock. Um, there were no, like, huge, huge runs. It was just like death by a thousand paper cuts yesterday. And uh, the Eagles D-line early on was really stuffing the run. And then... You know, Shanahan made made a change and started running some counters, a lot of tosses and sweeps. And it's like, you know, it, it's so it's so frustrating to watch as an Eagles fan because you watch these other and, and it's look, it's early on Sirianni. I'm not putting this all on him. But you watch the adjustment adjustments that other teams make. And it's like, oh, this isn't working. Why don't we try this wrinkle? You know, we don't need to abandon it totally. Why don't we maybe just pitch it outside now that they're blowing up the interior of our line? 
we'll run right past them. That's what other teams do. Seems like whether you look at Peterson, you know, with uh, with Wentz at the helm there, as as they kind of got stale, um, and you look at obviously this game, just seems like the Eagles aren't able to make like an adjustment that's like not necessarily a total abandonment of their game plan, but just a wrinkle of their game plan. Um, so I think that that was one thing that stood out to me. Uh, I'm not going to overreact after one game. I mean, Hertz didn't turn the ball over. I thought he protected the ball. A couple of deep shots that could have gone there. I mean, Watkins. You know, that, that could easily be a score if that safety doesn't run him down. You had Rager step out of bounds, which, you know, it is what it is. What are you going to do? Um, but but I also I, I need to talk about the officiating and the announcing for a second here. And sure. I'm not going to put I'm not going to put the game on the officials, but you have Trey Sermon run a ball up the middle of the field. OK, the Eagles are down by, I believe, at this point, uh, 14 to three. Runs the ball up the middle of the field for a first down. The Eagles, uh, Kayvon Wallace comes flying in. Now Sermon ducks his head to around his own knee level. And you got Wallace come flying in, hits him in the head. The ball comes out. Slay recovers it, returns it for 20 yards. You think you're in business. Now, Fox, and I said this in real time, what is going on here? What What, what is happening? They cut to commercial, okay? The Eagles have the ball. Sermon's on the field. They're playing the injury music. You know, the, the soft injury music that they play. Sermon is like face down, right? And I turned to uh, a couple of people I was watching the game with. I said, what do you see? They'll go to commercial. They'll come back and they'll say, oh, it's San Francisco's ball, right? So next thing you know, they come back from commercial and they go, oh, yeah, they assessed a 15-yard targeting call on Kayvon Wallace. So here's what I need to know. How did that happen? Okay, because they didn't talk about it at all. Did they review the fumble? Because the ball was out. The ball was out. Okay, the Eagles recovered it and ran it down the field. He's laying on the field. There's no flag before commercial. We come back from commercial, there's a flag, and it's 49ers ball. Number one, you can't put a penalty on during review. They did. Was it reviewed? We don't know. I mean, I, there was no penalty on the field at the time of the commercial. So, I need to know what happened. Did they have the new Blandino talking in the ear? Well, it's a fumble, but it was actually targeting. There's no talk of it at all. You got Bozo Schlereth talking in idioms like an absolute meathead. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. What are you talking about, dude? That 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 line that he said made no sense. Where do we find these guys? You got Adam Amon, who's awful. With Schlereth. Schlereth got canned from ESPN, and I turn on a football game for two 1 0 teams, and I'm listening to this idiot. It was so frustrating all freaking day. The offense stunk. The announcers stunk. The officiating stunk. I should have golfed. Wow. Wow. That, that hits. Honestly, sounds like being on a plane wasn't so bad. Just getting a couple. <laughs> Couple updates no, no, no. a couple minutes being, from the from the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Let's get something straight. Being on a plane and being on the Niners wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, right. Where 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 was uh where was Mike Pereira? Isn't he the Fox, you know, officiating analyst? No, they they, they brought on Blandino with his slick back hair, probably half buzzed up from a bottle of booze that Jerry Jones gave him, and he was adamant. Now that's targeting. He hit him in the head and Good call here by the officials. I mean, but there was no talk. Like, it was a fumble before we went to replay, before we went to commercial. 
We come back and there's a penalty put on. How did the penalty get put on? They didn't even say, oh, they talked about it and they said, oh, it wasn't actually fumble. It was a penalty. It, it was like a mystery. We come back and all of a sudden it's 49ers ball. That's so bizarre. But what can you do? Tough L. Move on. But the Eagles are going to have to move on without two prominent pieces. Brandon Graham tears his Achilles about midway through the game. He's out for the season. Brandon Brooks is dealing with a pec, pectoral issue. Uh, it sounds like he's going to IR, so probably be weeks, if not months, but not season ending. Um, but it's interesting because you come into the season with an older team, at least on the interior, and I talk to people. Uh, even my old man, and and he says to me, you know, what's the over-under of, of these veteran linemen guys that we're going to lose within, like, the first three weeks? And I said, I'd set it at one and a half. And he goes, I'm taking the over. And sure as shit, here we are two weeks in. We're two men down. And that's really why we had success in week one was the, the outstanding play, the O-line and D-line. And Again, don't have too much intel of my own from, from yesterday, but it's tough to lose those guys. And, I mean, I guess Dickerson stepped in instead of Herbig. I don't know what, what that decision was there, um, but hopefully Dickerson or Herbig can, can be serviceable uh, at guard. And then I guess it'll be Sweat and, and Barnett getting the majority of the work uh, in place of Brandon Graham, which at first glance doesn't sound terrible, but – Brooks and Graham are, are kind of heart and soul guys, and they're obviously really good competitors. So it's it's going to be tough, but I guess we're on to Dallas. Well, yeah, you lose a guy like Graham, who's not only the heart and soul of your defense, but a smart player. Like, like the guy just knows situations. And then immediately Graham's out, Barnett's in, and this dumbass is getting another uh, personal foul. Like, where do we find these guys that are just total morons on the field? Like, like for years, we've been watching this Barnett just cheap shot people after the whistle. And he managed to do it again yesterday. Uh, it would have been second and long. You would have gotten off the field, hopefully, with two, st- two stops there. And, uh, and instead, he, he packages them up a, a big first down, and they chew more clock and get a field goal at the end of the game. I mean, I, it, it's not only that they're aging. It's that their aging players are their best players they're like in terms of smarts, in terms of skill. They don't have any young guys who play the game the right way can step in and, like, really be a replacement-level player. That's a good point. And so it sounds like there was two personal foul calls, um, and even just from watching the first quarter and a little bit of the second, I guess, it seemed like there there were a number of penalties. And I listened to Sirianni's press conference Monday afternoon, and he got asked about the penalties and specifically the uh, personal foul penalties and targeting. And he's talking about how, well, it's got to be, sometimes it's got to be a pat on the back. Sometimes it's got to be a matter of fact. Sometimes you got to scream and yell. There's different ways to do it. Well, he's got to figure it out because there were a lot of penalty issues early in the Atlanta game. Sounds like a lot of penalty issues uh, yesterday. And again, not to jump, jump down the guy's throat because he called a nice game week one. Sounds like he struggled yesterday, but he is a young guy uh, coaching in a, a bit of an older team. So he's, he's got, he's got to get that straightened out because 
uh, it sounds like it, it kind of cost us some opportunities yesterday. And he's got to be careful there, right? You're wearing the T-shirt of the quarterback, which is great. You know, you show some support for him. But at what point, and I'm not talking about Hurts in general, but at what point do you hold these guys accountable as men, being a guy that in some cases might be like the same age or younger than some of these players? Like Barnett, I, I hope it's not a pat on the back or a pat on the ass. Like his ass needs to be on the bench. Like it's been years of this stuff. And, and just because you weren't the coach, doesn't mean you shouldn't be holding these guys accountable. This has been years of this pattern of behavior. So we'll see what he says. We'll see what he does. I mean, I'm interested to see this next game coming up. Divisional game, Monday night, national audience. Big game from the Cowboys yesterday. Not to get into that, but, you know, we're going to see real quick whether or not Sirianni can flush it and move on, get the team to rally. And uh, if anything, I think it's a good thing, a little bit of a reality check early in the season. The 49ers are going to be a solid team. So, you know, certainly you don't want to lose that game at home, but they did hang tough. Defense looked solid and uh, excited to see uh, to see this next game against the Cowboys. Only given up, what, six points to Atlanta and 17 to, to San Francisco. So, like you said, defense is off to a solid start. And we didn't know what to expect from this team. I, I didn't have uh, high hopes, but in terms of just pure entertainment, we had a really exciting Huge blowout win in week one, and then we kind of got humbled yesterday and facing some adversity, and now we're going to Jerry World to play the Cowboys on Monday night. It's a huge game. Can't wait. We're, we're going to learn a lot about this team on Monday night and, and looking forward to it, and hopefully they can get it done. We'll have, uh, we'll have selections coming later in the week, um, but we'll move to another selection that was not an official – well, actually, b- before we move, can I just, just make a, co- a comment real quick about the coaching staff? Sure. Let's say the Eagles do what they do this year, right? And let's say they're around 500 or they're seven, eight wins. Like, you know, I think you had them at like seven. So, you know, not overperform, not underperform, but they had this kind of a retooling year. My biggest fear is we end up with the nightmare scenario that a lot of Eagles fans thought we had coming out of that Super Bowl where – the head coach stays and the guy who was like the brains of the, of the operation leaves. So like, I look at this defense and I look at that coordinator who's a young guy and apparently people think the world of, and you can't help but wonder, all right, if this, and we're two games in, right. I'm not, I'm not saying this is, we need to make this decision now, but if we're sitting here week 17, week 18 now with 17 games, I think Lori has to look at this objectively and say, all right, like in reality, Who's the guy? Is Sirianni really the guy moving forward? Or should this guy Gannon be the head coach? And it's super early to say that, but I've seen this happen too many times where like they let the wrong guy go or the young, the young, uh, you know, uh, almost like superstar coach leaves and goes somewhere else. So I don't know if it's too early to say that, but with the way the defense is performing again, super early, the way they're performing and the way they look, I mean, it's a noted difference from Jim Schwartz and I like the way they're playing back there. For sure. And it, it is a week-to-week league, uh, as we learned quickly with, with these first two Eagles games. But that certainly does tend to happen to, to a lot of our teams that we root for here in Philly. Um, but definitely something to take note of and, and keep an eye on, because I've also heard high remarks from a lot of folks online and talking football about, about Gannon. So we'll move along to, uh, as I was saying, a selection that was not a point spread or a money line, but Bomb looked into a crystal ball 
of his last week. And unfortunately, Carson Wentz went down with not one, but two ankle injuries <laughs> against the Rams. Uh, not sure if there's a timetable on, on how long he's going to be out yet. But, Bob, I, I don't know what you're eating or drinking or if, if you meditate. How did you see this? How did you foresee this? And what's your reaction to, to Wentz going down? No surprise. Like I told you, I put my hands on the crystal ball and I foresaw this this ankle injury. I actually foresaw the mechanism of the injury getting rolled up. So I don't want to pat myself on the back. This is this is a blessing and a curse, right? I see this guy's moves, three moves before they happen. And like I wish I could monetize it into something that like there's no as I as I asked you last week, I said, is there a way to get an injury prop? I, I don't want anybody to get injured, but I want. I want to at least make money off of what's going to happen here. So, you know, <clears throat> nothing needs to be said other than that this guy is a bum. He's a fraud. And wait do you see. He'll, this this ankle injury will be the excuse for this year. He'll come back in training camp next year, talking about how rejuvenated he is and he's had a second kid and new lease on football and this, that, and the other. I mean, how do you injure two ankles on the same play? It was great, um, you know, to see uh, the fact that you know, they, they lost again. Now, granted, they did cover on a bunch of BS kind of plays with the punter and all that. But Indianapolis off to a shitty start. The concern here is this guy won't play the 75%. It doesn't matter. I, I need him to crash and burn. I don't I don't wish injury on anybody. But this guy's a fraud. This guy's Ginger Judas. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad, glad I could have my own little say there and kind of predict exactly what would happen. I've seen this. I've seen this play too many times. We have, and, 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 and like you said, not, not wishing harm on anyone, but it is awesome and, and, and hilarious to, to see it play out and, and kind of validate our, our stance on this guy because there's a lot of people locally that are just starting to come around. But, Bob, you've been on it for years, and, and it's pretty crazy. But the, the other thing that's unfortunate uh, for me personally, I kept Jonathan Taylor as my first-round pick on one of my – fantasy teams and I didn't learn I didn't learn that everywhere that this guy Wentz goes turns to shit I mean Indianapolis cool, cool. They, have cool, great, cool. they have a great O-line Jonathan Taylor one of the best run, young running backs in football had him poised to be my RB1 he had a strong finish last year the guys put up maybe five or six fantasy points for me the first two games and he's looking like an RB three or, or a guy that's going to be on the bench. Um, but you know, hopefully with Wentz being out, Easton will come in. Uh, they'll, they'll pound the rock a little more with Taylor and, uh, the spirit of Wentz being gone might, might lift, uh, the vibe for the Colts, but off to a terrible spot start and not really unexpected for us. Yeah. And I mentioned last week, when's the last time a playoff team was a, a, a dog at home their first two weeks. When's the last time a playoff team was a dog at home the first two weeks and started 0-2? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But high expectations. I mean, they, they clearly uh, Indianapolis thought they were a quarterback away or, you know, trying to at least thread the needle from Rivers to Wentz. But he's not the guy. He's a stiff. Um, I'm interested to see what their out clause is at the end of the year. Can they get rid of him at the end of the year and eat some money? I don't know. But the way this is going, I mean, 
if he can stay on the field, I mean, that, that first round pick's going to look real nice for the birds between the Dolphins and, and the Colts. So uh, excited. I think Howie did it again. I think he totally ripped these guys off. On Taylor, on your, your point, I mean, I think he's going to have a big week this week if Wentz is out. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say that if Carson Wentz is out this week, I will bet the Indianapolis Colts. Here we go. We're flipping the script. Wentz is out. We're taking the Colts. Bob's taking the Colts. We'll, we'll, we'll make if it official. He's out. If he's out, we'll make it official. But if he's out, we are riding with Jacob Eason. Who do they got next week? Let me see real fast. It doesn't even matter. I believe it's the Titans. Yeah, they got, they're got. they at Tennessee. Divisional game should be close. Anything else around the league that you wanted to touch on? I mean, that Sunday night game I mean, we was gotta, we, was we got to touch on Sunday night. Yeah, that was a great game. You were on Ravens' money line. Chiefs got out to, to some big leads early in the game, carried it into the fourth quarter. I think they were up 10 uh, going into the fourth or some, something like that. But Lamar just – there was a point in the, in the third or fourth quarter where he ran a ball and he could have stepped out of bounds. But he put his head down and tried to truck stick the D back and as much shit as I give Chris Collinsworth, he called it out and said, you know, Lamar Jackson, he could have went out, but he stayed in. He put his head down. He's here to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was like, I don't believe it. And sure as shit, I mean, thanks to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, another stiff on one of my fantasy teams fumbling that ball. The Ravens pulled it out. So that was crazy. And... Tyreek Hill did absolutely nothing. Uh, the Kansas City running game was pretty much non-existent. I mean, Kelsey kind of did his thing, but that offense is pretty tough to stop. And they still put up 35 points and lost the game. And they gave up a lot of points to Cleveland. So, I mean, should Kansas City be 0-2 right now? I don't know. But, Bob, what, what did you think about the game? I mean, you've you got to be counting your cash. Yeah, counting the cash. Obviously, the the big play by Owa away uh, at the end there with the punch State out. Guy. On, uh, State at, guy, at, you know, on a layer, and uh, I mean, he punched it out and he recovered it. Um, and right now, the guy looks like a hell of a pick. I mean, everyone was talking the guy like no, no sacks his last year in college, but this guy looks like a total fast twitch freak in the NFL. And oh my God, that. When you get guys like that and they just they wear that Ravens purple when they're on the D-line or they're a linebacker, like those defenders just look so much scarier for some reason, just because of the history of like watching Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Like if you just put a jacked dude in like a Ravens jersey on the defensive side of the ball, like I just expect them to be just superstars. That other guy they touched on, I don't know his name. I think he's number six. But Collinsworth was saying how he wasn't very high on him last year, but he was flying around making plays last night. And I kind of thought the same thing. Like, this dude is like a skinnier, like, young, up-and-coming, almost like Ray Lewis type, just just looking at the uniform, obviously. But he was flying around, but totally agree. That's uh, that's a good look for those those kind of nasty guys that can really get after it. Yeah, it's, that's where you want to be drafted if you're a defensive guy. But, yeah, what a game. I mean. Lamar is just unbelievable. Like, you know, that was like the total Lamar. Ja- you know, they used to talk about like the Michael Vick experience. That was the Lamar Jackson experience last night. The guy was like unbelievable. A couple picks, but um, man, he willed that team to a victory. And like to watch him in fourth and one 
like call his own number and just plow forward. Like he's, he's not a big guy, but he just seems to not, he wriggles through the line. He finds a hole. Like there's something about him. Obviously he's quick. He's got blazing speed, but that that's not always the, uh, the differentiator in short goal to go or fourth and one situations. Like the guy just seems to like wriggle through for like three or four yards every single time. Yeah. He had a big game. Didn't start hot. Um, 239 and a score through the air and then 16 rushes for 107 yards and two touchdowns and like you said the the big game ceiling rush on on fourth and one what a call that that was sweet you could see it in the broadcast Harbaugh mouth into Lamar you want to go for it and it wasn't even 10 seconds later they're out there snapping the ball right up the gut to seal it so that was cool got to give Lamar his props and always good to see Andy. Give him and his flowers, man. Give him I'm his flowers. giving him his flowers. Big trust, baby. It's always good to see Andy, you know, looking like a deer in the headlights and <laughs> Mahomes chewing his mouth guard. So <laughs> Andy looked so confused when they went for it. He's like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, that's that's not in his repertoire. He he doesn't have the 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 math sheet that, that tells you when to go or when not to. <laughs> Too funny. Speaking of a guy that doesn't, you know, know what down it is or when to go or what's going on, should we jump over to state? I mean, they almost got jobbed. They almost got jobbed, but they pulled out a, a huge, huge dub Saturday night in front of a raucous crowd, the whiteout. Uh, they beat beat the Auburn Tigers 28-20. Um, yeah, almost, almost got jobbed. It was really bizarre. That ref. That head, head official or whatever, he just looked confused, like, from the first flag of the game. And then, what was it? It was the first or second quarter, and Penn State had an intentional grounding play on what should have been second down. But they had Which, by just, the way, was an awful They just call. skipped it down. Yeah. It was, it was an awful call to begin with. But they, it was a third down play that should have been second down. But regardless of what happened, Penn State got jobbed, lost a down. They ended up punting the ball on their third down of the series, even though the ref said it was fourth and Franklin was heckling the refs, you know, all the officials. He said after the game that they called it upstairs to replay and they still couldn't get it right. So that that was absolutely terrible. The other call that, that was on, wait, missed. Wait, wait, no, re- yeah, re- replay, didn't, didn't, replay didn't get it right in a – Penn State, 8 o'clock, whiteout game at home? Huh. Huh. Where have I seen that before? Like a Buckeyes game, right? <laughs> That's Von Bell, my friend. <laughs> was that the one when they had Hackenberg and they took them to overtime? I think it was overtime or double overtime, and the ball clearly skipped. And they come out. The referee's name was John O'Neill, and they, I believe it was John O'Neill. And they came out and they said they didn't have that angle in replay. Meanwhile, they're playing it in the damn stadium. You see the ball hitting the ground. I was at yeah. the game. It was pathetic. I was sitting on my couch and saw the ball hit the ground. That's what I'll never get. Like, do they just make that shit up that the refs don't have that angle? Because if you can show it to every schmuck sitting on their couch watching the game, or Christ, put it on the the big screen in the stadium, but you can't. How does the ref not have it? That that's what always cracks me up is you you. You, you grab – so here's here's how replay works in college. You have these big jumbotrons built in these, like, coliseums for, like, college football. And, like, they they, they call up to the booth and they, and they initiate replay. 
and then they roll out like this little like Samsung Galaxy S looking contraption with like a freaking booth wrapped around it. It's like, why are we looking? Why are we looking at a four inch screen? What is going on here? Why? Why does replay work like this? Yeah, just look up. Terry Pagula gave a billion dollars. I mean, not for Beaver Stadium, but you know, some guy like that gave gave a billion dollars for these HD jumbotrons, and and, and you're looking at looking at an iPhone in a little booth. I, I hear you. it makes no <laughs> they sense. Bu- they built like a little a little injury tent for the iPhone, and you see the ref like peek his little head in as if he's as if he's at the optometrist, ready to say one or two. It's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. I I didn't get that one. And the other call I was going to mention, not sure if you had anything else on the skip down or loss of down, was the grounding. The grounding, I think it was in the second half. Knicks was clearly in the tackle box. He threw it to nobody and just no call whatsoever. And I I think they were working on the rest for that one too, but they didn't want to be worked on. They were there. It was an SEC officiating crew, and there was a number of plays. Uh, definitely one that that my buddy called out that I was watching the game with where uh, Auburn was kind of pounding the rock a little bit when they had some success um, with with Bigsby Tank. Bigsby, what a name for a running back. Kid had a nice All-time game. All-time college football name. Yeah, awesome. He, he, had, he had a nice game, but the right tackle on Auburn, clearly false start. He, he's up up with his hands up, you know, a second, second and a half before the ball snapped and, and they're get they're getting downhill and, and chopping away at us. They they didn't see that and we almost got jobbed. But the next day the SEC did release a statement that uh, they did miss the, the the loss of down call. They did miss the intentional grounding on Auburn call. Um, but they were not correctable during the game. And that was kind of the end of it. Well look, it's not like the Southeastern Conference, either the officials, the student athletes, or the regular students are known for their ability to do math. So not shocked there, but it is just disgusting that this stuff can't get fixed in real time. And uh, even, you know, going back to the Eagles game with that with that bizarre call where the ball goes back to the 49ers, as well as this, uh, this Penn State-Auburn game, I have a bone to pick with these coaches, okay? Like I watch baseball and you see like a call just get flubbed and and a, and a and a manager comes out and just loses his shit on these on these umpires, right? And gets run from the game. Like if you know you're right and you're now punting on third down and everybody's telling you it's fourth down. If I'm the head coach of Penn State University playing in our whiteout, the headset is gone. The headset has been chucked into the fifth row. The playbook, like the little, the little, you know, kind of laminated thing that they have would have been helicoptered across the field. I would be out on the field losing my shit until they ran me from the game. Why did none of these coaches ever just get booted? It's disgusting. They have no heart, no guts. They talk about being tough, elite, mentally tough, holding people accountable. Hold the damn officials accountable and make a scene. In a close game like that, especially, too, that was... That was the time and place for, for Franklin or, or for anybody to do it. Um, but he's, he's, he's very diplomatic, so he, he piped down when, when he was told, told well, enough. Let me, let me ask you something. What do you, what do you think Nick Saban would have done in that, in that scenario? He wouldn't have stopped. He probably would have stopped the game, pulled the players off the field, taken eight delay game penalties until they got it right. 
Well, that's why Nick Saban's the best. Nick Saban's got like five guys on staff whose job it is simply to count the downs. Like they have the little pitching, like pitch counter, and it's like, oh, it, Nick, it's it's only it's only third down. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was a good win for State. I mean, I I can't I can't nitpick. Uh, probably the best game of Sean Clifford's career at Penn State. He had four incompletions. He threw one pick. I knew it was a pick as soon as it went up. Said it to everybody I was with. Uh, he got hit. You know what I mean? He got yeah. hit. Yeah. It was just, it was late in the half. And they were trying to trying to jam a score in there, which is fine. And, and he did get hit. But I could just tell by the way he got hit and the, how far down the field he was going. It was not going to be good. But I think Auburn just ended up sitting on it and going to the room at halftime. But, yeah, no, great game from Clifford. Have to, have to give him his due there. You know, Penn State's O-line, they protected really well, which I think helped Clifford have the game that he did. Uh, the running game wasn't great. I think Kane had somewhere between 15 and 20 carries for like 45 yards. Uh, so so not, not anything great there. But they took care of the ball aside from, from that one turnover at the end of the half. Um, and, and defensively, the, the secondary was great. Really didn't let anything get down the field too far behind them. No big plays, really. Uh, the Auburn run game did did have success. Bigsby had over 100. I think another guy had maybe 40 or 50. So they, they had success, some success on the ground. Um, but they, they got it done. And we're up to six. I mean, I can't, I can't nitpick when, when we're winning big games. And we've, we played two ranked teams in three weeks. And we have two wins. So I uh, can't nitpick. But... Uh, I think you and I talked about it a little bit. Still some questionable decision-making around the goal line and in the red zone, and then on fourth down. I mean, first half, I think it's the first drive of the game. Penn State's maybe just slightly into Auburn territory, and they got a fourth and one, and it's a long one, like one and a half, almost two yards. And before ABC can even get the camera back on the game, uh, there's a pile-up short short of the line. Penn State tried to sneak it. Um, wasn't wasn't thrilled with that call. That's not really Penn State's bread and butter whatsoever. And then later in the game, in the second half, they have fourth and inches where you think a run up and quick sneak is the play. No, they bring up Mustafer, who's a starting D tackle, and run a fake punt with him right up the gut. Now, was that call controversial too? Was forward progress stopped? I don't know. He ended up falling over the the line to gain, but. They ruled him short, and then after the game, Franklin saying, oh, well, you know, you guys like the gadget plays that work. You guys don't like the gadget plays that don't work. Well, and he said, we're trying to keep everybody on their toes. Well, Coach, oh, God. P.J. Mustafer is your starting D tackle, and I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that guy is not one of those three dudes in the punt formation that stands like five yards off the ball. That's your starting D tackle. And so you think when you bring him in on fourth and inches in your punt formation, that that's not an obvious tell? I mean, don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. Like, I, I get it. You want to call these plays? That's great. But don't, co- don't come out after the fact and t- tell me what I like and what I don't like. I'm watching the game, and you're botching these calls. And then in the red zone, they did that nice thing with Warren, uh, with the Wildcat that tight end, um, and, and, and jammed it in with him. He went over the top. And then in the second half, they bring him in, and they, they, they don't run it right up the gut again. Like, it's just obvious. 
They ran it the first they run, time. They run They're the not going to run it the second time. They ran a pass with like, the kid. That's the play you run like three weeks from now because the previous play was on film and like Michigan or whoever it is you play like three weeks from now has seen it. Like that's the play you run then. You don't run like the wrinkle off of the play in the same game. I completely agree. And and again, it's it's hard to nitpick, but I just feel like these are the kind of things that are going to cost us when we play Iowa or if Ohio State gets improves against them or even against Michigan, if they turn out to be something like things are shaping up for Penn state, Ohio state looks weak and the conference is, is wide open. I mean, the top 10 or top five or top four, whatever it is in college football is wide open. Uh, we saw Alabama get taken to the wire by the Gators. Ohio state does not look good. Oklahoma struggled to beat Nebraska. They've been struggling all year to beat, win all their games. Clemson doesn't look good. I mean, the, the list goes on. It's wide open, and Penn State's got two really good wins on the schedule, and they have a lot of ranked teams ahead to play, um, none of which seem to be world beaters or, like, totally outclassed the Nits. The Iowa game will, will probably be the toughest, but that's just that's, that's why I have to go into this about Franklin and, and some of these decisions because I just have watched this team pretty much my entire life and I've watched all his regime obviously and I just know that that this kind of nonsense is going to cost us in one of these games I pray that it doesn't but I'm that's my biggest fear well that's what's upsetting is because at least with Sirianni that was one game and I go all right I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt down there in goal to go situations and I'm going to just assume all right you know he's getting his feet under him he's you know, learning on the job, and he'll, he'll learn from, from what happened on Sunday. I can't say the same for Franklin. Game after game, big game after big game, this guy makes really questionable decisions, whether it's running the ball on fourth and six and taking it out of your quarterback's hands, uh, running at, like, the best player in college football, like Chase Young. I mean, I don't know where this guy comes up with the scheme to say this is our best option in the biggest moments of our season. Yeah, and, and that – you saying that also leads me to believe like Penn State's run through three offensive coordinators in the last three years, and I think they've had four or five under Franklin. Like, yeah, they're the offensive coordinators, and and apparently they call the plays. But it makes me think like, do they do they really call the plays? Do they do they have you know the final say over what's going down? Because these reoccurring issues are are across coordinators, so. I really think Franklin needs to swallow his pride and just completely give up any input on play calling, critical decision making in terms of what plays we're going to call in the red zone and fourth and short. Like I don't, I don't want him well, involved that, whatsoever. Look, this isn't stuff that happens mid game, right? Like the the offensive coordinator may be calling the play in the moment, but they're not determining what's on the menu, right? Chicken sandwich or hamburger? That's done during the week with Franklin. So they're picking the hamburger because that's what's on the menu in that situation. So, you know, you really have to wonder, like, what goes on during the week where these are the plays and the wrinkles that they put in for these big moments? And it just it, it looks off the, the play to Warren work, the first one to run. You know, you're getting a little mass behind the line. I kind of get that. And the guy seemed to have some some hops to him. But I mean, beyond that, like, do we need to see that again? I just I don't know. And then obviously all the fourth down stuff's on him. Right. He's the guy that's saying we're going for it. We're sneaking it here. 
we're faking a punt. Like that's not the other coaches. Like that, that's the head coach. Yeah. I just think those two fourth down calls were asked backwards when it's fourth and a long one, then maybe you get Mustafer in there and ru- rush him on, snap it fast. And then when it's fourth and inches, you, you sneak it. It just, I, I, I always question that kind of stuff, but like I said, I, I am nitpicking. They're three and other up to six in the country. They got Villanova next week. Uh, we're feeling good. And like I said, it's, it is shaping up for them. So they just gotta, they gotta keep it going. Now, do you have your whole Hall's lozenges? No, uh, I should though, but not not from the whiteout. Uh, that's just from the weekend in Tampa. <laughs> Anything else on on state or or the state of college football after three weeks, Bob? Should we close with that and just do a segment on college football in general? Yeah, sure. Um, okay. I mean, I went I went chalk with my my playoff picks preseason and. That's certainly not looking good, but uh, the the chaos is 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 real early on, and it's looking like it's it's going to be that way unless some of these these top tier teams shake it up. I don't I don't know what you think, but like I said, all those teams are looking shaky. Yeah, a lot of parity this year. Obviously, my uh, dark horse team uh, got down early at Indiana, but pulled it out in the end, Cincinnati and. Um, they're off for a week and then go to South Bend. So excited to see kind of how they hold up against the Irish, who I think are totally fraudulent this year. Uh, I think Bama is the best team, clearly. Uh, they got taken down to the wire by Florida at Florida. And, you know, it kind of gets back to my point, right? Like these – Bama's got the best players. They have the best recruits, five-star dudes, blue-chip dudes. But until you go on the road and do it, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't know what you are, right? And uh, – Clearly, the offense got the job done against Florida, but the defense, you know, like I said last last week, I mean, Saban's concerned about something, right? He's not seeing something in practice, and I don't think that's him just calling out an elite team. That's that's him saying, "Oh crap!" Like we don't have this shutdown, you know, knock these team out, knock these opponents out type of team or style that we we've had in years past. I mean, they're, they're, they certainly show they're, they're a little vulnerable, but could definitely be a, a growing opportunity with a lot of new faces. I mean, they have a ton of new faces every year with all the guys that they lose in the draft, but uh, admirable performance from Florida. And as far as Notre Dame's concerned, uh, they, they do indeed stink. Uh, they got Wisconsin this weekend off a of bye, so that'll be an interesting game to see because I think uh, the first few games for both of those teams were not really high on, on either, but would be a good win uh, for, for the Big Ten and the Knits if uh, Wisconsin can pull that one out. So let's play, let's play a little game here, okay? Uh, let's do uh, a, a little game, contender or pretender, all right? And we're just going to go it. through. Uh, Oregon. Who? Uh, I mean, I would say contender for the playoff, but not for the title. Three you now. They're up to number three. You think Pac, they win the? You think, you, th- you think they win the Pac-12? They still have to play UCLA, right? Who lost? Next games at Arizona versus Arizona at Stanford versus Cal. I mean, the schedule looks like a total joke. You thinking contender making making the Final Four? Uh, I'm going to say contender right now for the Final Four. <clears throat> Oklahoma. Whoo! They 
were my my national championship pick preseason, but they're they're looking far from that. Um, I mean, even West Virginia this weekend looks like a tough game at Texas. Iowa State, I think they bounced back a little bit this weekend. So I am going to say right now, I'm going pretender. I think I think there's a blip in the road or a bump in the road, whatever you want to call it. Um, just what I've seen from this team thus far, uh, two close calls with Tulane and Nebraska. I'm going pretender right now. I agree with that. Iowa. Uh, I think Iowa wins the Big Ten West and certainly a, a playoff contender. I mean, Big Ten West with one loss or or zero or or because uh, they don't play they don't play Ohio State they don't play Michigan this year from the East right their two toughest games um, are coming October Saturday the ninth they take on Penn State at home Saturday the thirtieth they travel to Camp Randall to take on uh, Wisconsin. So that, that's pretty much the extent of their, their schedule moving forward outside of, you know, the, the cupcake uh, conference opponents. But you, you think they are staunchly, you know, kind of the, the contender out of the Big Ten winning the West? Do they win? Do they win the conference? No. I don't think they win the conference. I think I, I do think they win the West. You'll have to get my pick uh, the week of the state game. But I think between Penn State and Wisconsin, I think they'll lose they'll lose one there and, and still take care of the rest to win the West and, and appear in the in the Big Ten championship game. So I'm I am gonna call them a a contender because if if they are a one loss team and that loss is to a sixth ranked or a fifth ranked Penn State, and then they go back to the Big Ten championship and, and beat Penn State or win the Big Ten championship against somebody else, I think that would bode well for a playoff spot. Okay. Penn State, contender or pretender? Gotta go contender, man. We're three and zero. Wow. We got, we got two top twenty-five wins. Clifford's taking care of the ball. If we can get somebody in Franklin's ear to clean up uh, some some of the decision making, and we we tighten up the the run D a little bit against these tougher teams, and somehow get a little more push on the O line. But uh, I, I like the vibes of this team and. Really strong secondary linebackers playing really well. Uh, aside from that drop pick six, that one that was tough to watch. But um, and then Dotson and Washington and Strange and Johnson, the tight ends showed out this week. I think I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think this this could be a year for us to contend. Texas A and M uh, pretender, just because. The the backup quarterback does not look QB. does not look good. Cincinnati. What do they got left? Notre Dame and then American Conference games. Well, they're on bye uh, next week, as I mentioned. Then they're at Notre Dame, followed by Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, and ECU. Contender, contender. I'll tell you what, the game that gives me the most hesitation there on Cincy's schedule isn't isn't Notre Dame. It's Tulane, man. You think so? Well, Tulane gave Oklahoma a tough game. 
Yeah, they, they got routed this past week by Ole Miss, but they, they've played some really quality opponents early in the season, and maybe they get up for one game and kind of surge and, and try to uh, knock off Cincy. Uh, all right, next contender or pretender, Clemson. I'm out on Clemson. I know I picked them for the playoff, but I'm out on them. They, they don't look very strong this year either. They stink. Ohio State. Pretender. Quarterback stinks. Defense stinks. Might they find a way to, to ruin Penn State season? Probably. Um, but I'm going to pretend they're there. Another one of my playoff picks. All right. I'm going to ask you about a few more fringe teams. I'm not going to ask you about Notre Dame because I know where you land there. But I will ask you about the next two SEC teams because they're inside the top 15. 2 and one Florida. Ranked number 11. Uh, just lost to Bama. Uh, next game versus Tennessee. Obviously, they're in the SEC East. What's your take there? Contender, pretender? Do they do they get to the SEC title game and maybe have a rematch against Bama? What, what are your thoughts? I'm going to go contender. Uh, they, they, like I said, they played a pretty admirable game against Bama this week, and they're I guess their top competition in the East is Georgia, and I I am not a Georgia fan. I think the the Clemson win looks overblown now that we know what Clemson is three weeks into the year. Um, so I could definitely see Florida beating the dogs uh, and get getting to Atlanta to, to have a rematch with Bama. All right. And the last SEC team here in the top 15, undefeated University of Mississippi. Blew out Louisville opening weekend. Blew out Austin P. Blew out Tulane. Big time QB, who appears to be a Heisman front runner at this stage of the game. They're all yeah, by this week, and then they're at Bama Saturday, October second. Contender, think, pretender. Sorry, yeah, I think that ki- that kid that's the QB is is now the odds-on favor for Heisman. Uh, obviously, really early, but I don't know. Um, can Can you ask me this one after the Bama game? Because are th- are they in the East or the West, Ole Miss? They're in the West, so the, their schedule is an absolute gauntlet. It's uh, Alabama, then they have Arkansas, who's up to 16 at home, followed by at Tennessee. Then they have LSU at home, followed by at Auburn. Then they get the cupcake at, versus Liberty, followed by A&M, Vandy, and then they round it out with the Egg Bowl at Mississippi State. Nah, pretender. That, 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 that's a tough run. Probably lose to Bama, and there's probably another – slip up in there but I, I to be honest I haven't watched the team and and people are really high on the QB and you know it's fun, fun to watch Lane Kiffin and, and th- those offenses light it up so we'll we'll, we'll see I mean ba- like like we said Bama's uh they're vulnerable uh, they'll probably get it cleaned up by by October 2nd but we'll we'll see but for now I'll go pretender that's a tough tough slate yeah, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see that Bama game because this 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 quarterback is giving me major Manziel vibes. Oh boy, that was fun when he beat Bama. That was sick. So we'll see. Hope hope to get a game there, and looks like we can put up some points, right? So uh, we'll see. So thanks for playing contender and pretender. It sounds like there's a lot of pretenders out there, G. And uh, just glad to hear you though say that Penn State's a a total contender, not a doubt in your mind. Oh, I, I always have doubts, but 
I got I got to be optimistic at some point, and and there's reason to be right now. So we'll see what happens. Um, is that all you got for me, Bob? Close it out now for us. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Um, the Phillies continue to hang on, but irrelevant during football season. The Flyers open training camp on Thursday, main camp. I'm sure not a lot of people care, but I do. We'll stick to football for now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you later in the week for Fade the Shade, NFL Week 3, College Football Week 4. Until then, be good. <laughs>